Well, here we are, and I need to talk to you about Sudan, the situation in Sudan. As you know, it's a crisis point, or has been. General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, leader of the Sudan Armed Forces, the Sudanese Army, and General Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo, uh, otherwise known as Hamidi, the leader of the Rapid Support forces are head going head to head now as i as i speak i guess that it's by the time you get this it'll be the 5th of may and <laughs> what have i got to say about this situation um it's disturbing of course it's hugely disturbing but it also needs context to understand and uh, we have to go back a little if we're going to look at the sudan crisis Let's step back to the role of the British in Sudan. The British were much respected in Sudan uh, in the colonial era when Sudan was administered jointly by Egypt and the United Kingdom. And the, the situation was that in the aftermath of all of that, there were a lot of military rulers, some of them happier than others, there was a kind of peaceful time under General Numeri, briefly when Joseph Largo was vice president, when there was a settlement of the the North-South War that had been going on for some time. But that ended, and we were back to tough military rule, and indeed the beginning of Islamic uh, law in Sudan, which didn't help anybody. Uh, because why? Because half the population are non-Muslim, at least those from the south, by and large, who are either Christian or animist. And as time went on, the various wars and wars on wars didn't seem to end, and the British decided to meddle. And at the time when Derek Fatchett was Minister of State for Foreign Affairs, we sent an envoy in, a lovely man, uh, who tried to do his best to establish some sort of comprehensive peace agreement. It wasn't satisfactory and it wasn't comprehensive. Um, he's a good friend of mine, Alan Goulty, but he was special envoy for Sudan. And there was this inclination on the part of the British to sacrifice democracy for peace. So they got the Sudanese government to agree to a kind of approach that meant that uh, they would have a referendum on independence for the South 10 years down the line. Uh, it seemed uh, an easy ask just to quiet things down. But the sting in the tail, of course, was the referendum was not a truly democratic referendum because we, the British, had written small print in uh, which said uh, <laughs> that if you were... If you were expatriate South Sudanese living in the north, you didn't get the chance to vote. This swung the vote in, in uh, just enough on on the side of the separatists. And Sudan was partitioned, and you'd think that was an end to the wars, but no, not f at all. In fact, within, within a few months, uh, people were fighting each other in the south and in the north. And the next major development was the Darfur War, where, I mean, Darfur was a real big problem for Sudan because what do you have? You had a lot of 
um, I suppose Sudanese of of um, Muslim and non-Muslim descent, but who were some of whom were settlers, and they they were in the Darfur region farming. But the Arabs, at least many of the Arabs in the Darfur region, were nomadic cattle ranchers. And as the, it's very much like the cowboys in the Wild West, as the range got divided up and fenced in, they got angry. They, they rode camels, but they, they farmed cattle and drove their cattle north and south, depending on the season, to follow the grass as, as it grew. And suddenly they found themselves finding it difficult to, to do so. And meanwhile, many of the settlers and others in, in Darfur were getting grumpy with the then president of Sudan, President Bashir. And so they, there was a bit of a rebellion uh, going on. Well, President Bashir decided, well, we're not going to have this. So he issued the ranchers, the cattle ranchers, with AK-47s, and they went and they slaughtered wholesale the local the, the local farmers, and uh, it was catastrophic. It was brutal, and yes, many women were raped and captured and raped. Um, the people were driven out, driven across the border to Chad. Uh, crops couldn't be planted. It's very difficult because most of the aid agencies, with the possible exception of one or two small ones like Kids for Kids, which do operate in Darfur, most of them decided to set up a uh, shop in the camps in Chad across the border. And since that was the only place to get aid, it meant that that many more refugees had to go and resort to crossing the border. Uh, to escape the war because they had no relief available in Darfur itself. So this was the situation. Now, the, these these brutal forces were called the Jangjaweed, and the Jangjaweed were uh, now becoming a militia force. Now, in in the fullness of time, the leader of the Jangjaweed changed in 2017 to this man, Hemeti, and um, General Muhammad Hamdan. Um, so Hemeti, the, th- the thing about him, he seemed to believe in peace, mean, uh, at least seemed to have a, a soft side, but it, it was a pretty brutal force that he commands and commanded and meanwhile, President Bashir of Sudan was facing his own problems back home in Khartoum because the women of Sudan had decided to rise up and stand up for democracy and for a better future. And so a mass protest led by the women of Sudan took place. And to cut a long story short, President Bashir was forced out of office. Now, who was waiting in the wings? General Abdul Fattah al-Bahan, the head of the Sudanese Armed Forces, and General Hamdan Dagalo, 
popularly known as Hamati. So they were now the kingmakers. They endorsed democracy and said that they would support democratic elections. Well, that lasted a month or two. Uh, there was an interim government of sorts, but then then they stepped in and decided that it should be military rule. Uh, so they, they gave lip service to the idea of democracy, but they took over. Hamity and Burhan, the leaders of the Rapid Support Forces, as they were now called, the Jangjaweed, and the Sudanese Armed Forces. Uh, meanwhile, Hamity uh, began to recruit Sudanese who were not from from uh, Darfur into um, into the Rapid Support Forces. So they were growing apace, and there were talks about combining these two forces. But the question was, who was to be king of the castle? Uh, Burhan felt it should be him. Hamadi felt that he was more equipped to deliver what the people wanted. And so the two men started slugging it out. And, and there we are. Where are we? It's very reminiscent of what's happened in the past in the Arab world. You remember the two brothers' war in Syria, uh, where um, where Hafiz al-Assad fought Rifat al-Assad, Rifat, head of Saraya Dufar, and uh, Hafiz had his presidential guard, and it uh, was uh, pretty brutal. It was settled by, by Libya, uh, basically... Uh, stepping in and, and making a settlement, and, and Rifat al-Assad stepped aside. Uh, we have had other attempts at, at, at trying to have a kind of bilateral control of a country. It was tried in Iraq. It didn't get anywhere, really. Um, could it be done in Sudan? Do we have a chance at a peace process that that might somehow make a compromise between these two warlords? I don't know. One would hope so. But at the moment, the Sudanese army are basically fighting tooth and nail to gain the upper hand and are not interested in a peace process. They think they can they can subjugate the rapid support forces. I'm not so sure. It's a big ask, and and will they destroy half of Khartoum in the process? The international community, of course, are players in all of this, as they always have been and always will be. Um, specifically the British, of course. The British have been supporting the rapid support forces, whom they have been using to patrol the border of North Sudan to stop refugees from that that western part of Africa, um, beg your pardon, that eastern part of Africa, uh, from streaming across and up into Libya and Tunisia and across the Med. So they've been uh, employed by us, by the British, to do that job, which they do ruthlessly. The Italians now are very frightened, very frightened indeed, that this is going to, the war now we're talking about, if it results in the defeat of the rapid support forces, as it may, 
will now open the floodgates to new levels of migration. Um, but who knows? Who knows where we are at? Uh, a mess is where we're at. The rapid support forces uh, have been fighting in Libya uh, on behalf of the, well, of, of the Benghazi-based Libyans. Um, I don't know whether whether that's uh, an advertisement for anything. I mean, they were basically mercenaries in Libya. They um, they were obviously coming home now to to fight the Sudanese army. The war is ongoing in both Khartoum and Darfur between the Sudanese army and the rapid support forces. So we have an interesting situation developing. The, both the Sudanese army and the rapid support forces have been fighting uh, in Yemen too for a fee uh, to help against the fight against the Houthis. That fight seems to have calmed down now with the settlement between between Iran and Saudi Arabia, maybe. So we have windows of hope. Many of the local citizens were, I mean, the U.S. citizens were kind of betrayed by the U.S. State Department. Uh, a lot of joint dual nationals, dual nationals for British dual nationals and American dual nationals amongst the Sudanese. I say betrayed by the State Department because the State Department closed the embassy rather swiftly before anybody could get themselves sorted. Um, we were pretty hasty too. The British were pretty hasty in closing their embassy. Um, you used to have, in, in days gone by, embassies would leave a skeleton staff to deal with their citizens and the problems of their citizens. But now it's get the embassies out first and let the citizens muddle along till we can do something about it. I, I say that I mention this because some of my American friends are rather ashamed of the way the State Department behaved in this instance. Uh, what else to say? Can we have peace? Will we have peace in Sudan? History doesn't smile kindly on peace in Sudan. We haven't seen much of it. Is there, is there a way that we can see some sort of compromise between, between these two beefy generals? I hope so. I would hope so. I hope both of them will commit again to democracy. It's very difficult for them to do so because obviously a uh, democratic government threatens their own absolute power and they're too busy slugging it out with each other at the moment. But maybe, maybe they'll commit to democracy. Can we see peace in Sudan? I hope so. I pray so. We need more effort to engage with the rapid support forces and the Sudanese government. The British are one of the few groups that, or few, few nations that have ties, strong ties with both sides. Very unfortunate that our entire embassy staff has left. 
Um, but uh, needs must, I suppose. The future, I'm not immensely hopeful, but we are obliged to be hopeful. Let's fight for a better tomorrow in Sudan. I think that the British government have much to answer for. This whole problem is, in a way, in a way of their making. They've been the manipulators when it comes to modern Sudan. And so perhaps they should be the peacemakers and step up to the plate. About time, wouldn't you say? Okay, let's hope for a better tomorrow and a British government with some sense of conscience and responsibility uh, so that they can actually help in Sudan as of now. Thank you.